Welcome to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle, a branded podcast by Worthy. I'm Jennifer Butler, and I'm your host. When you sell a piece of jewelry, you can't control how much it's worth, but you can make sure that you're selling smart with a team of experts and advocates behind you at Worthy. Your engagement ring can be a financial asset that allows you to embrace a new and fulfilling life after divorce. Let us help you get the best deal possible for the jewelry you've outgrown. Go to worthy.com forward slash podcast to learn more. Divorce can be difficult. It can be painful. It can literally be one of the most stressful life challenges to navigate, yet we don't really talk nearly enough about the emotional trauma that can be experienced as a result of the process. When not properly dealt with, trauma can root down in our bodies and minds so strongly that we may actually be holding on to the traumatic experience without even realizing we're doing so. To heal our trauma, we need to be letting go, yet we can't seem to help but hold on tight. Our guest today, Lara Eisenberg, is here to talk to us about letting go and how leaning into our bodies through sensuality, passion, and the erotic self can be a powerful vehicle in the healing process. She believes an integral part of healing for women lies in exploring their emotional, psychological, spiritual, and sexual lives, and an absence of any of these aspects of self can be an impediment to a sound self-esteem and an integrated sense of self as a woman. Lara Eisenberg is a licensed therapist, somatic experiencing practitioner, which is a mind-body approach to healing trauma and the effects of chronic stress, and a coach with 19 years of experience dedicated to assisting females in restoring the natural harmony that exists between mind, body, and spirit. She is also a woman I am honored to call my friend and my feminine sister, Lara. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor and pleasure to be here. I am so thrilled to have this conversation, especially with you, because I have known you for, I think we figured out, is it 25 years now? (laughs) (laughs) On and off throughout our lives, we um, have sort of been drawn back to one another throughout our 25 years many times, and um, you just embody the work that you do. Mm. It's such a gift to share you and your wisdom with our worthy community today. So thank you. Thank you. So share with us a little bit about who you are and the work that you do. Sure. Well, I guess just when I think about like who I am and I think about identifiers, like the, the words that flash in my mind when I think about that question is, I would say a strong advocate for women and girls, uh, deeply devoted to anything spiritual and the world around me, very embodied and passionate about restoring the body, mind, and spirit. And when I say spirit, another identifier is just, I really think that connecting to the sacredness of our bodies and ourselves as women and the world around us is essential to have an ability to really surrender and move forward in in the world in the way that, which I'll talk about later, but in the way that women are innately designed to do. And another identifier I would say is a dancer, Mm. fully committed to awakening and helping women to embody their sensual erotic nature and their um, sacred, sexual, authentic self-expression in the world. 
I would say that would be me (laughs) thinking about like identifiers that were flashing my mind when you asked me that question. And then the work that I do is really a culmination of just like all my life experiences. I like it actually started with me like writing in a journal and then all of the work came to be in terms of my programs. But I'm a, like, like you had mentioned before, a licensed therapist, but after I got my degree, it was 19 years ago. I, I focused mostly on spiritual psychology and somatic therapies. So a way of really bringing in, not just working with the mind, but how to work with the body and how to work with spirituality too. And I work also as an embodiment empowerment coach, helping women and girls, mostly teens, to restore their body, mind, and spirit and reclaim their sacred sexual and erotic expression. And then you mentioned also the somatic experiencing practitioner. That's the main modality that I use, which is a a mind-body practice to restore um, or heal trauma and the effects of chronic stress. And I have a background. I've studied yoga and meditation for 20 years and traveled all over studying and spent time in India and Eastern philosophy definitely resonates. And in terms of the trauma, also, I'll get into that a little bit later with personal experiences. But I do come from a, a background where there was a lot, a lot of uh, intergenerational trauma, immigrant family and Holocaust background. So that also informs my work. Yeah. And like I said before, I mean, you truly do. You embody the work and the way you live it, the way you choose to carry yourself in the world and the way you choose to show up for others. Many of us will sort of disconnect ourselves from that part of us. So I'm really excited for you to address this all. Thank you. I'm constantly checking in with myself and seeing how am I living what I am supporting people in doing and if there's blocks to clear those blocks so I can continue to be in integrity and in my service in the world. Yeah, it really does make a difference when you're when you're doing the work and not just teaching the work. Mm-hmm. So like you started to say before, I mean, oftentimes we're led to the work that we do through personal experience. Is that true for you? Did your personal experience lead you to your mission in life? Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. So can you share a little bit about that with us? Because I know that your story really is a powerful one. And I think it helps, you know, it helps women to really see that they're not alone and that many of us, pretty much all of us have walked some pretty steep mountains to get where we are. Yeah, I'd I'd be happy to. Thank you for asking. Um, Yeah, so I would say, you know, I had mentioned before coming from a Holocaust background where the maternal side of my family was, they were all killed. So coming from already that lineage where there was a lot of angst and when we talk about trauma, oftentimes we get stuck in a fight, fight, freeze. So there was sort of a frozen response on that side. Mm -hmm. And then I grew up also in a a pretty abusive household. And so um, I was exposed to a lot of trauma. And then also in the community, I'm from New York, and there was some violence in the community. So I was exposed to a lot of kind of instability. And when we talk about the nervous system in terms of trauma, it was difficult to what I say, or Mm self-regulate, which is regulating my emotions and my nervous system. And Um, a lot of hypervigilance, a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression. And when there's a lot of unresolved trauma, obviously that translates to who you choose to who you choose in an intimate partner and how you're able to attach in a healthy, secure way. So, you know, going through life, I think that, again, there was also a lot of sexualization, objectification, both in my house and in the community and obviously in the media. Right. 
there was a strong disconnect from my body, both because of the trauma and because of the messages that were pervasive of your worth is based on the way you look as a woman. Yes. And with that, there was a disconnect from my pleasure, from my sensuality, from my authentic sexual expression, and from my authentic vulnerable self. There was a sense of like I had to be on for people and to be um, desirable and to look a certain way and to act a certain way. So it was really difficult to not fall into that script that women receive to kind of please and serve the other put the others before yourself. And that also extends into, you know, like our pleasure and our central experiences. So Mm -hmm. I, I embarked on just a, a really intense, intense journey of exploring all aspects of being a woman, women in money, women in sensuality, women embodiment, women in trauma, women in, I mean, everything you can think of. I just spent years studying and traveling across the country, studying with different teachers and doing my own work. And one of the biggest things that really stood out for me was really the whole piece of of sensuality and eroticism, because I feel like that's where so many women are. And I was just numb and disconnected because there were so many wounds that I was disconnected from my authentic emotional expression. Right. And there were all of these messages that I just felt were valuing more the, you know, my beauty and the way that I looked versus my heart and my intellect. So during that time of that deep exploration, I fell in love and, you know, I was at a spiritual treat and I fell in love and I literally thought this is the man that I'm going to marry, mm-hmm. you know, and there were talks of, about marriage and Basically, long story short, even though we met in a spiritual retreat and doing all this inner work, he was a narcissist and something called a covert narcissist. So covert narcissists, it's very, very, very hard to detect that they're narcissists because they're so incredibly loving and kind and generous. And, you know, I've seen very like overt narcissists, I grew up with one, but covert I never experienced. And so the level of abuse, which was very, very subtle, it's a way of I don't know if you ever heard of gaslighting, but turning it around yes. to look like you're crazy, but there's, but, but in a way of like being so loving and kind. And so that you actually think you're crazy. And, you know, I went through that for a long time on and off and it was traumatic for me because everyone saw him as this spiritual teacher and this, yeah. <laughs> you know, he was always doing good in the world. And, and it was um, a long journey for me and traumatic when we broke up. And ended that relationship because, you know, I thought and everybody thought, okay, this was my partner. And with that, I dove even deeper and deeper into my exploration as a woman. That propelled me to just like excavate all of this old stuff. And I really reclaimed my power and my authenticity and my, you know, erotic self and attracted like honestly, the man of my dreams, mm. like just in terms of spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, physically, everything, I attracted exactly what I wanted. And he is the real deal. Like it's a real authentic expression of, you know, integrity and spiritual growth and just fully committed to everything I'm committed to in those values. And I don't think I would have arrived here if I didn't do the amount of work that I needed to do. Not saying that everybody needs to do that. I think that's my journey because of what I'm bringing to women. So I don't think ah, every woman needs to do this amount of work. And then that's how I don't think that I think that my specific journey, I needed to do this level of deep, deep exploration 
so that I can help support and serve women in the way that I do. Absolutely. I mean, but what's really important here is that there are so many women who have experienced what you experienced with thinking they're crazy, not even being able to trust themselves, you know, being in that spot where you come out and it's like you've been knocked on your feet and you don't know what's up and what's down. Mm-hmm. And in that place, sometimes it can feel like there's nowhere to go. And I think your journey is going to be different from my journey, from the next person's journey. But I think what's so important here is that there is a way up from there. No matter what your journey looks like, that's not the end. That's not, you know, the tell all. That's just almost like a launching point. Mm, totally agree. So... Let's start with the emotional trauma piece, because I don't even think some people realize, you know, post-divorce, whether you've dealt with an abusive uh, situation, a narcissistic situation, you know, whatever, or just a conflictual divorce, I don't think people even sometimes realize that they're struggling with emotional, it's trauma. Yeah. So you know, what is it? How does it manifest? And how does one know if they've actually experienced trauma? Yeah. So, I mean, I think from the, from somatic experiencing from, from the the orientation that I have, it's, it's an event that happens too quickly, too fast for the, the nervous system to be able to like integrate and process. Okay. Cause a lot of times, you know, it's, ah, it's, it's in the event. It's, it's gotta be this big dramatic thing. And a lot of times it's really, no, it's in your body. It's how, what your nervous system can take and handle and process. So for one person, an event might might be traumatic and for another person it might not be traumatic, but it's when you see that these, you're left feeling kind of emotionally out of control and you have this, you're struggling maybe with like memories or anxiety or upset emotions that are not going away. And some of the feelings that you might have is you could feel numb or kind of disconnected, unable to trust people. And when you get into intimate relationships, you might have like a traumatic response. It's a feeling of like, get me out of here now. You're afraid to get close to someone because you've had a trauma, relational trauma, let's say, just like if if it was with a dog, you wouldn't want to be around dogs, but when it's with another human, then you, if you have a, if you have emotional trauma, then when you get close to another human, you might have this same response. So it really shatters your, your sense of security. It's like you're, you end up living in this present reality, not actually responding to what's in front of you, but reacting to what happened in the past. Exactly. And, and, you know, like the responses are normal because you have, there's a dysregulation in the nervous system. It's like a, it's in a physiological response mm-hmm. is what needs to be worked on, not just the, in, in the mind because it's held in your body and your nervous system. So that's where we're like, why am I not over it? Because your body is still holding on to it as a means of survival. It's like, I don't want this to happen again. So when I get close to someone, you know, for example, I'm going to, have trouble sleeping, or I'm going to have muscle tension, or I'm going to have nightmares or difficulty concentrating or a racing heartbeat because your system is like, danger, danger. You've been here before and you got hurt. So then you have all these physiological cues that are, you know, happening when you get closer to whatever the threat, you know, threat your body perceives. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, people, other symptoms I think you asked about is like, um, 
just withdrawing from people, shame, anxiety, mood swings, anger, shock, disconnected or numb, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that, you know, when you're in that and you're experiencing all of, all of, or some of those symptoms, I mean, sometimes you don't even realize that you are experiencing those, but I think even if you do, you kind of get in your head about it, right? Like you said, like we can't think ourselves out of this, although we try to, you know, and I think especially as women, sometimes we expect ourselves to just be able to sort of get over it, deal with it, figure it out, you know, find the answers and just, you know, kind of keep going. Mm -hmm. And, you know, especially with divorce, I think sometimes there's this like, all right, we'll just move on, just get over it. So what's the danger in that, you know, in sort of not really dealing with it and just kind of pulling up your bootstraps and carrying on? I mean, I would say just the quality of life and your, and your access to deep joy, because if you have been traumatized or if you've had relational trauma um, or, you know, grief and loss from, from a marriage ending or relationship ending, it stays in your heart and your body if it's been unresolved and living with, let's say, like I had mentioned, the irritability, the sadness, the depression, maybe difficulty sleeping, the symptoms are going to manifest either emotionally and physically. And your capacity to love and really be open to that which you truly desire is limited. Mm -hmm. It's obstructed. Mm -hmm. You don't have that access because your body, heart, soul are in a state of, of protective and defensive mode to keep you safe versus to keep you from really living. Yeah. And I think that's such a beautiful point because there in and of itself is, is really a generative way of looking at it. Like we're just trying to keep ourselves safe. So it's like a spot where we can love ourselves mm -hmm. and almost like an access point in. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know I said this before, but I think too, the tendency can be to really cut ourselves off from our own sensuality, our own sexuality, all of that, and just kind of live this sort of disconnected, you know, I don't need that part of myself sort of life after the trauma. Yeah. And I think the combination of, you know, the objectification leads to self-objectification. So we see like if you had a lawnmower, you see the lawnmower as your, your you know, mowing the lawn, you're not going to say, how do you feel? And we, there's a phenomenon called self-objectification that we see our bodies and ourselves as objects. So we have that and we have the trauma. And in order to access your sensual self and your sexuality, you have to feel safe. If you're in, if your body's still stuck in the trauma, you can't, you can't access that. You have, your system is, there's too much, what we say, the sympathetic response. Mm -hmm. You have a hard time to access more of a parasympathetic response, which is a relaxation because your system is ready to defend itself. Yeah. So interesting. Okay. So let's take a really quick break here. And then when we come back, let's really kind of jump into the work you specifically do, you know, really leaning into our bodies and specifically our, our sensuality and our erotic selves. So we're going to be back with more from Lara Eisenberg. When I decided to sell my jewelry after my divorce, the most important thing to me was finding a company that I could trust and one that would also advocate for me. I found this and so much more at Worthy. 
Their expert staff immediately put me at ease and helped me to get the best price possible for my jewelry. Your engagement ring can be a symbol of your freedom, your journey, and the choices you have made to live your life on your terms and create the future you desire. Let us help you get the best deal possible for the jewelry you've outgrown. Go to worthy.com forward slash podcast to learn more. We're back with Lara Eisenberg talking about emotional trauma. And I want to start chatting about the importance of really leaning into our bodies, you know, specifically our sensuality and our erotic selves with the intention to heal. So can you start off? Let's define sensuality and the erotic self, because I think a lot of us get very confused about what it means to be sensual. I think sensual and sexual get jumbled together. Mm-hmm. Completely agreed. So let me um, pick sensuality first. So I think for me, sensuality is anything that's related to the senses. So stuff that you hear, stuff that you see, stuff that you taste, stuff that you feel, anything that delights the senses can be a sensual experience. So for example, if you're stressed at work, you're having a stressful day, I always recommend, how could you have a sensual experience in the midst of the stress, right? And the reason for that is, let's say you have a lot of adrenaline, cortisol coursing through your, your bloodstream, you want to counteract it with some dopamine and serotonin, right? So some chemicals that are create a feel-good experience. So mm. it's actually for your health that you want to invite in pleasurable experience. So I always tell people, okay, let's, what's essential experience? Like for me, I have all of these really soft throws. Like right now I'm laying on it, super soft. When I put my hands on it, it feels so good to feel and to touch so I'll just lay on it or touch it or maybe put on music that, that just makes you feel super happy or um, reminds you of something fun. You put it on for two minutes. Anything that's going to ignite the senses. You can even get yourself flowers for the day or spend time outside in nature. But anything that's going to like really ignite and nourish your sensory experience so it just gratifies the senses. Yeah, it's almost like flirting with life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you don't need you do not need to be sexual to be sensual. You know, I work with people at all ages, and I mean, of course, there's women that are having sex, you know, up in their 60s, 70s. But you don't. Sexuality needs to be redefined by women. Sexuality can be you're just kissing, and that's sexual. Like it doesn't need to be intercourse, mm-hmm. and then also. You know, people have different sexual orientations and gender identifications. And so that's another factor of how we identify ourselves in terms of gender, in terms of sexuality. It varies and changes and our appetite changes as well. So sensuality is just really looking for an experience that's going to gratify the senses and feel good. And the eroticism was the other question. Right? Yeah, the erotic self. Yeah. So, I mean, I could say for, for me, the erotic self is like the way that we are turned on by life. Mm. And, you know, I had, I studied with a teacher for a while, Jaya, who she basically says how you're wired for pleasure, how we're all wired for pleasure. 
there is someone named Audre Lorde who is like a feminist and who I loved the way that she, she explains it. I'll just read you something she wrote here. Um, the erotic is a resource within each of us that lies in a deeply female and spiritual plane, firmly rooted in the power of our unexpressed or unrecognized feeling. Of course, women so empowered are dangerous. So we are taught to separate the erotic from most vital areas of our life other than sex. And the last piece is, we tend to think of the erotic as an easy, tantalizing sexual arousal. She says, I speak of the erotic as the deepest life force, a force which moves us towards living in a fundamental way. And when I say living, I mean it as that force which moves us toward what will accomplish real positive change. Mm-hmm. So you can be erotically charged by seeing a sunset. Yeah. <laughs> like really turned on by seeing the sunset or by, I don't know, going camping. Yeah. (laughs) Or feeling the wind on your face or the, you know, sometimes I'll feel the sun and I can just feel myself put my arms up and my head back and I just bask in it. Yes. You know, I guess the biggest thing is like, it's accessing your deepest life force. Right. I don't know. It's like so deeply spiritual and feminine. The other thing though, and I have this in one of my courses is I really feel that there's a strong intersection between emotional and erotic intelligence. And we can't access our full erotic intelligence unless we're able to be with our emotions. Mm. That makes sense. Actually, um, I just recorded a, another podcast with Rich Bracken about emotional intelligence and mm you know, what stands out is we don't even know how to identify our feelings. There's, you know, hundreds of different ways to, to feel. And most of the time we really only have six or seven words that we can access about how Mm. we're feeling. And, you know, even just the naming of it allows us to, you know, lessen the intensity first of all, but to understand that they're parts of us, right? Like, I think we sometimes get completely overwhelmed by them. So I can see how, you know, that emotional intelligence is essential to really connecting in to this powerful force in us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that that's, you know, so many of women are trained to just kind of be good and accessing like anger and strong emotions is, is difficult. And so that's part of the work that I do is helping women to access those stronger emotions that might feel like they're not like socially acceptable or they come out too strong and they feel unmanageable. Right. So what I love is, so what you're saying about the erotic self really is that it's less about sex and sexuality and what we believe it to be, but it really is it's really our life force, but it's almost where our female intuitive knowing lives. Like that force that just kind of knows where we're, where we're going. Yeah. And I would add that the female intuitive force that makes us feel fully alive. You're just like fully present, alive and like turned on to life. Yeah. I mean, I would say like, obviously there's a, I do do a huge amount of work with eroticism in terms of like what's your erotic blueprint, which is what I had said before, mm-hmm. understanding what is your own erotic style. Are you more energetic? Are you more sensual? Are you more 
sexual? Are you kinky? You know, there is a way to understand. And I do a whole program around that as well. Mm-hmm. I have accumulated a lot of information and a lot of knowledge and Tantra. I've a lot of work with that Tantra and women just really looking at the intersection between spirituality and sexuality. That's a huge part of the work that I do. And so there is an erotic part that does have to do with sexuality, but to broaden the definition, I really feel that it has to do with just our, our turn on and our, you know, looking at the spiritual and the emotional plane. Yeah. And I think really just accessing sexuality then in a way that is less about, you know, what we're kind of shown or told or what we think we're supposed to be and really connecting with what sexuality is for you specifically. Right. If your turn on is just like, okay, I just want someone to, you know, softly caress my body and that's the sex for tonight, then that's it. Yeah. So heterosexual male defined mm-hmm. and it's time for women to redefine it and to reclaim their own pleasure and their own sensuality in their bodies and live for their own pleasure. You know, not by denying others and, but, but we already have, <laughs> we're already taught to give, give, give. Now it's about, okay, what is our pleasure? Yeah. And, and, and not in denying others. I think in doing this work, you actually open yourself up to be able to receive, to be able to be more vulnerable in a way, because you're, you're like you said before, you're creating safety for yourself. Right. And then from there, you know, everything's kind of possible. Exactly. And that's the other thing too. I think so many women, and I know this was my journey, I needed to be taught how to create safety, how to communicate what is safe to me. What do I need? What are my boundaries? Mm -hmm. You know, and I don't mean just boundaries sexual, just what are my boundaries in general in terms of, you know, communication or, you know, what are my needs? What, what creates safety for me? Because when I have that safety, that emotional and psychological and spiritual safety, then I want to be close to another physically, Yeah. but I need that. And I need to understand my body and my own pleasure to be able to, you know, extend myself and open myself to another. Yeah. So, you know, these are all obviously very important reasons for women to reclaim their bodies, but specifically after trauma, are there other you know, reasons that this becomes even more essential? Well, I think with trauma, there's the mind-body split that happens. And so a way to get back in that feels tolerable, because oftentimes to be in the body is so uncomfortable and painful because you don't want to feel the feelings or you have some chronic conditions, that this is a safe and empowering way to drop back in. Mm. So it's kind of like, how do I access my body, which is, you know, women are, I mean, we are the body, that's the feminine. So how do I access my body? Not in the way of how it looks, because that's the emphasis, but in terms of how it feels. And when there's trauma or chronic stress or we're grieving the loss of a relationship, we want to access ourselves and our body in a way that feels good. So it's like learning about ourselves and learning about our pleasure will help us get back into the body, but will also help us communicate when we want to, if we want to, some people might not want to explore with a partner. And you say we choose not to explore the partner. We just can say to our fr- to our you know friends too. So I noticed that this is what turns me on. When we go out to eat and then we go get ice cream and then we go for a walk and then we like watch something really funny. Yeah. Great. Great. That's like learning how, what feels good in my body. These are the things that turn me on. These are the things that help me come alive. Yeah. Um, so it's a way back in to restore the, the mind body connection and a way to understand the self and a way to counteract 
what I had mentioned before, which is all the cortisol and adrenaline that's coursing through the bloodstream from these this stress and these unresolved traumatic symptoms. Yeah, I love that you say it's a way back in. I remember when I was going through my divorce and I, I was completely numb. I remember one of my best friends saying, I can't believe you're not, you haven't cried. You know, you, I just don't understand how you're not crying. And mm. I couldn't, I, I couldn't access anything other than this sense of complete disconnection and numbness. And the way I remember getting back in was through joy and through pleasure. And I remember mm. finding moments where I would feel so either turned on or happy or joyful that I would just finally break down in tears. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Because when you're stuck, like fight, fun or freeze, when you're stuck in freeze, oftentimes a way to move out of freeze is through movement and touch. Mm. So you can move out of that frozen space, you know, where we're usually have be flooded with chemicals so that we don't feel right. Cause obviously if there's an animal that's chasing another animal, if you're going to get eaten, you have to be flooded with chemicals so that you, you know, are like opiates so that you don't have to feel the pain. Right. But then to move out of freeze, touch and movement can help us feel and, and move. So powerful. Yeah. So are there steps that our listeners can take to begin reclaiming their sexuality and reclaiming their erotic selves? Yeah. I mean, I think that the first thing I would recommend is I have a, there's a quiz that they can take in terms of understanding their own erotic style, but in a general way, I would say make a list of things that really turn you on, you know, the, the sunset. Uh, it could be, it could be something also, you know, intimate too, when someone, you know, caresses my body or when someone kisses me softly, it could be also intimate with someone else, but just broaden, broaden that to when I go hiking, I feel turned on. When I dance, when I hear music, when I go to the opera, just like a whole list and every day do something on that list. Mm. So that your senses, again, like you're, you feel indulged, you feel met, you feel alive, you feel awakened. And then body-oriented practices too. So whether that's dance, like see what you can do that helps to move your body in a way that feels like juicy and alive and nourishing, but I would keep that list up, anything that ignites the senses. And I would do something from that list every single day. I love that. That would be my initial response. And there's a difference to, you know, I've kind of just keyed into this recently between sort of, you know, structured movement, like we go to the gym or, you know, we sort of, you know, do our daily tasks, maybe where we're walking or where it's really structured, as opposed to maybe like putting the music on and just closing the doors so you don't care what you look like and just letting your, your feeling, your inner being sort of just let you flow. That's a great point. I actually do classes like that, where it's, erotic movement for women. And what it is, is exactly what you're saying. You put the music on and you watch the first impulse of your body in the way that it wants to move to feel the pleasure. So whether that's like, you know, putting your hands on your hair, whether that's like starting on the floor and just 
moving your legs against a soft throw so you could feel the throw on your skin. It's allowing the movement to drive the initial impulse to feel pleasure. Mm. It's like a very simple, but I think very powerful distinction. Yes. Awesome. So we're nearing our, our the end of our time together, but from your heart to the people listening, what becomes possible once we've connected with pleasure and once we've reclaimed ourselves? Mm. I'm just like, I just took a breath and smile because the first response is everything. Yeah. There is a power that I feel that as women that we reclaim and a confidence and a pleasure and a joy that we experience only once we come back into our bodies and connect with what, with our life force, that which turns, turns us on. And I think that once we do that, we start to manifest, we start to draw in exactly what we want. And we start to say no to what doesn't feel good, but it's going back and meeting yourself back in your body and, and in your pleasure and in your heart, you know, because what is my heart's desire? Like, what does it want? That that arrival back home to ourselves is what manifests our our true desires and like that lasting, enduring sense of joy and gratitude and living a just fully expressed life. Yeah. You know, and as you're speaking, I think about all the women I've spoken to and that, you know, recurring sense of not knowing, you know, how do I know if it's my intuition? How do I know if it's, if it's really what I want, or if it's my head, or if it's fear, or if it's my ego. And as you were speaking, I was like, gosh, this is such a, a powerful and effective way to really learn the distinction to that question. Mm coming home to themselves through their body and then accessing that intu- intuition. Yeah, so powerful. Thank you so much. I mean, so such a great conversation. And I think just giving women access to, and not just access, permission, permission to, to go there. And, you know, there is one thing that I left out is in terms of like, I think your, your question in terms of what um, becomes possible once we've connected, that becomes possible when we let go. So the other thing with trauma, I just wanted to add this one piece is like, if we still have things that remind us of our exes that can re-traumatize us. So, you know, whether that's clothing, furniture, a ring, like anything that we have that reminds us of our union with them, Mm -hmm. especially if that union is so painful, it's time to let go. Because letting go in that letting go, it helps to create a new beginning. So I just wanted to say, because I, I was thinking about the question too, in terms of what becomes possible when we connect with pleasure and reclaim. Part of the reclamation is to saying no and letting go of whatever makes us still connected to what no longer serves us. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I love that you mentioned the ring. Obviously, you know, Worthy is a wonderful company to, to let go of the ring. But I love that you mention it because I remember it being a very significant time 
of letting go for me and coinciding with, you know, that reconnection of my mind and my body and my sensuality and just like a, a reformulation of it. And it seemed like letting go of piece by piece by piece sort of opened up those possibilities. So I love that you brought that up. Mm-hmm. That helped me tremendously. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because you don't, I think sometimes as time goes by, you think you've let go of, you know, everything, but then, you know, time will go by and you'll be like, oh, look at that. You know, Mm -hmm. here's something that I still have and I can let it go. Yeah. And that's part of the reclamation process is saying no, setting a boundary and letting go of what keeps us tied to a painful past. Yeah. So great. Uh, Thank you so much. So how can our listeners find you, follow up with you after today? Yeah. So finding me on my my website or my email, but I'll give you my website. And um, that's www.mybodymindwellness.com. They can um, have access to my free gift, which is my body, my heart, my desire, tips to reclaim your feminine essence and soul desire. I also have on that page, they can sign up. For, I offer complimentary consults so they can schedule that. And they can also find out what their erotic blueprint, so how they're wired for pleasure. Mm-hmm. Can that. So anyone interested in any of that, just reach out to me. My email is sacredheal, S-A-C-R-E-D. H-E-A-L at gmail.com. Perfect. Well, thank you again for your time, for your wisdom, for your beautiful heart. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. And I I appreciate you and all of your, your listeners, you know, just wishing them to really tap into, I know it's worthy, right? To really tap into, you know, their innate worth and their beauty and their full expression of themselves and wishing every listener just that and so much more. Mm, Amen to that. Make sure you subscribe so you can catch every new episode of Divorce and other things you can handle in your weekly feed. If you like what you hear, rate and review us to help other women like you find us. This podcast is for you. So email us at podcast at worthy.com with any questions or ideas that you may have. We look forward to hearing from you.